Julia Gerlach. Welcome to this episode of the Strip Till Farmer podcast series, supported by Yetter Farm Equipment. I encourage you to subscribe to the series, which is available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. Thanks to Yetter Farm Equipment for supporting this podcast series. Yetter Farm Equipment has been providing farmers with solutions since 1930. Today, Yetter is your answer for finding the tools and equipment you need to face today's production agriculture demands. The Yetter lineup includes a wide range of planter attachments for different planting conditions, several equipment options for fertilizer placement, and products that meet harvest time challenges. Yetter delivers a return on investment in equipment that meets your needs and maximizes inputs. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O dot com. Farming organically may or may not be any more difficult than conventional farming, but it does benefit from taking a very holistic, systems-based approach to crop rotations and weed management. For Walcott, Indiana grower Jason Federer, the more complicated rotation he follows and lack of synthetic chemicals is worth the trade-off as he attempts to find what he calls a more responsible way of raising grain. For this episode of the Strip-Till Farmer podcast, we chat with Jason, whose transition to 100% organic production on his 4,000-acre operation is nearly complete. Utilizing a diverse rotation that includes approximately 10 crops each year, as well as cover crops, Jason is also implementing a modified strip-till system that involves planting corn between strips of alfalfa. Join us to learn how he makes this system work, why he's planting more and more sunflowers, why he says planting fixed stands of cereal rye may be unnecessary, and more. Why don't you just start by filling us in on your background, on your, your operation, your location, how long you've been farming, your management overview, all of that. Okay, uh, 4,000 acre uh, grain farm, Northwest Indiana. I'm 43, so I've, I've you know, I went to, went to Purdue after I got done with Purdue, this is where I came haven't worked anywhere else. Are you a second generation? I guess technically probably third. My grandpa moved here and a few years after that he passed and then my dad took over and, and my dad actually farmed organically back in the 80s and I don't remember that. I remember he was always doing stuff different than the neighbors. You know, most of it was always toward the, the side of less chemicals and, and that type thing. I, I don't remember when when we were actually organic. He told me he used to, and there just back then there wasn't enough money in it, and so you know went the conventional route. And and I, I guess I, I wasn't interested in organic, you know, when I was younger at all. You know, I remember when Round Up Ready came out. I thought this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I don't got to cultivate anymore. I don't got to walk beans. You know, now we see where that that led us. You know, so. I'd say 10 years ago, I started really getting that interest in organics and uh, pushing to try to go that direction. Mm-hmm. And what got you interested? Uh, well, my mom had died of cancer. Uh, my dad ended up passing the cancer. Just people's health in general. I mean, the, you know, the, not just that. I mean, looking what we're doing to Gulf of Mexico, Lake Erie. I mean, there's, there's examples all over. I don't depend every bit of climate change on on agriculture i mean I, I think there's a lot of forces at play but i guess just uh trying to find a more responsible way to to do what we're doing mm-hmm. you know and so your entire operation now is certified organic it's all uh, finishing up transition there's uh, a, oh close to a third of it is certified and the rest of it will be come harvest of, of 22. So what sort of cropping rotation are you looking at right now? Um, <laughs> which year and which field? <laughs> that's that's probably one of the, the most commonly asked questions. I don't have one rotation and it's, it's changing all the time. I guess there's a lot of factors. A, a lot of it is just what actually works with the agronomics, the workflow. And then the economics too, it's, it's awful hard to try to grow something you can't sell, you know, or, or be profitable at. When we went from strictly corn beans and maybe a little wheat, you know, years ago, other than cover crops, there's been cover crops for quite a long time now. Yeah. This last year, I think I had about 10 different crops in this year. If I figure them up, probably close to that, maybe a couple less. Oh. So for, for corn, um, most of my corn this year was actually popcorn. And then, uh, 
Oh, we've got uh, cereals, oats, wheat, rye, barley. We, this is our first year for barley, so we'll see how that turns out. Um, we did sunflowers this year for the first time. That That's one I, I think is a good fit for us. We did uh, rapeseed and canola. Uh, the rapeseed is not organic, the canola is organic. I think it's definitely got a place. It's not a really profitable crop for us. If you want to push the fertility at it, you can get it to perform, but I don't need another crop where I got to push fertility. You know, um, there's if I'm going to do that, I'll go back. To, I'll take a year off and go back to corn. You know, we did uh, did grain hemp last year and the year before, and no, never again. Well, good. Why not? <laughs> I hate saying never, but yeah. the first year I did it, um, I had some conventional, oh. and the conventional at the time it competed with with uh, Three dollars, three fifty corn, but I never got paid for it. It's still in a bin out here because the you know when COVID hit, it, it really screwed with the supply chain. Long story short, you know, but but even that aside, it's a tough one to manage organically, and it's another one that that takes takes some extra fertility. It's about like corn, and it's like okay, why do I want to grow a crop that? I know is going to make less than corn mm -hmm. with more work and more risk. You know, part of the other allure of it was, okay, well, what's it going to bring to the rotation? What's it going to do for the soil? Mm -hmm. And for the life of me, I, I don't know yet. I um, we didn't have an issue with volunteers. Um, but one thing that was really interesting was the first year I had it, it was a conventional field. And um, I planted corn around it. I had 40 acres out of an 80-acre field, roughly, that was hemp. And the next year it was beans, mm -hmm. and I could you could tell to the line where the hemp was, it was just full of mare's tail. Oh, um, but where the corn was, not much at all. And, and it was the, the hemp was clean, it looked really good the year we had it there. Uh -huh. But then the following year, you know, it's just full of mare's tail and the beans. And mm. like I said, I don't know what it adds to the agronomic situation, but that's not the direction I want to go. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's an interesting crop, I'd, I'd have loved for it to work, but I just I just don't see it happening for me. Yeah. Anyway. Were you direct seeding that? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, we drilled it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in what, seven and a half inch rows? Or yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I've heard of guys, you know, planting it in the 30s and cultivating, and I just, just the, the way the grain plan is, it's not what I was, what I was expecting was, you know, that occasionally around here you'll see some ditch weed growing, and that stuff will be right up there with the top of the giant ragweeds. Oh, I see. Um, Great big plants. The grain stuff is not. It's, a, you know, maybe about four and a half foot tall. It doesn't branch. And then, you know, halfway after it pollinates, all the male plants die out. So your canopy thins again. And it just, boy, it, it's for organic. It's a tough one. It's it's a small, shallow seed. You can't go out and do any kind of blind cultivation. Um, short of cultivating in 30 inch rows, I don't know what else you do with it. And, uh, I guess as far as other crops, really, we've tried peas. Um, I've not had great luck with peas, um, spring peas anyway. Okay. Um, winter peas, I'm, I'm still going to play with. I think those might have some potential, but spring peas I'm pretty well done with other than just to cover. Mm -hmm. um, What's the problem with spring peas? I think a lot of it is the varieties available. We had a field this year that was supposed to be for its transition, supposed to be for food grade. And it looked really good. We kept it clean early on. And when it was getting close to time where it should be able to harvest, the maturity was just all over the place. I mean, it was plants, you know, even the same plants, some shattering out, some still, you know, way too green. And and the way the weather was, it was challenging this year. Um, and you know, we made the decision, hey, we can't mess with this field. We've got too many more important acres to get over cultivating and harvesting and everything else. Mm -hmm. We're just going to let this sit till we're done with that, come back to it and salvage what we can. Mm -hmm. And when we got back to it, it was just growing up in weeds and wow. we ended up mowing it. Mm -hmm. And, but, but even, you know, even aside from, from the maturity issue, it, I think the timing's wrong for the weather we have. Um, I know we get too hot when it's blooming and that just kills the, the yield on it. It doesn't get, I mean, the last two years I grew it maybe two foot tall. 
it's just not quite as tall as I was expecting it to get mm-hmm. um, as far as competing. And I think as far as green, that covers most of them. We, uh, um, we take this year is about a seventh of our acres and, and I'd say on average, that's probably what I'd shoot for. Um, that we just take out of production kind of as a land Sabbath, um, soil build year, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I guess I plan on continuing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, do you plan to cover crop on it then? Yeah. yeah. Usually it's going to be like clover, alfalfa mix, mm-hmm. um, to be able to go to corn the year after. Okay. Um, we've done multi-species mixes before and, and I might try introducing maybe more of that into the legume package, but it just, it sets us up so well for corn. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather take a year off and hit a home run on, on corn than half ass two years, you know, mm-hmm. and, sure. uh, it just, it, it helps with the workflow too. It's that many less acres. I mean, we've got to mow it, but it's that many less acres we've got to hit at these crucial times and, um, yeah, it's just work well for us. All right. I've yeah. heard Gary Zimmer talk about that. A year of corn and a year of soil building. You know, yeah. Gary? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it works. And then, there, you know, there's some fields that I haven't done that, and and they're okay, but you can, I mean, well, the two around the, both sides of the road we're at now, one has had that, and, I mean, you can tell, you know, just looking at them, um, and even through the growing season, um, it's pretty tough to beat having that legume ahead of corn, you know. Um, and, and with that, I don't put on any manure or anything for my corn crop. You know, that provides everything, and, mm-hmm. um, which is real important now that inputs have gone where they've gone. It's not just, you know, I don't keep track of conventional inputs now because I'm not using them, but um, the manure side of it, it's skyrocketed. Oh, has it? I'd say from where I was paying two years ago, at least tripled, maybe oh. more. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's gone up considerably. I don't really use a lot of the, the dry organic fertilizers. Mm-hmm. Um, we use some potassium sulfate, but I get way better bang for the buck by cover crops. So explain how you go about using cover crops as nutrients in your system. Well, I guess the, the, the best example is just legumes ahead of corn. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, producing nitrogen. I guess where I've come to be now is just using uh, manure ahead of small grains, and uh, we do use ahead of the canola as well. I'm hoping I'm going to try this this year. I, I think it'll work. What we've been doing for the corn it worked really well this year. I've, I was I was really excited and plan on you know continuing to do this. Um, we were basically doing like conventional tillage on the, you know, if we had alfalfa ahead of corn, um, not, nothing deep, not like ripping it or plowing, but um, using a speed disc and, and broadcast tillage across the whole field. And this year we used a Henniker cultivator and just undercut strips um, where we were going to plant. And uh, after we ran that, we ran a, a speed disc really shallow across it just to smooth it back out. Um, but, you know, after we planted, um, once we got everything set and, and working right, we had, you know, corn here and strip of alfalfa in between that we were able to keep there until, you know, we cultivated out when the corn was bigger. That worked really well. Okay. I really liked that. So what did you like about that? Well, for one, keeping the alfalfa growing, you know, as long as possible, yeah. um, in between the rows, uh, the, the problem we'd run into before where we'd you know, just run the disc across the whole field is we would end up with inconsistent, you know, kill. I, I didn't want to go super deep to take out the alfalfa. And I don't know if you could go deep enough with a disc to take out all the alfalfa. Um, so we, we were going about three inches, two and a half to three, and getting most of it. Um, but but there's still quite a bit came back. And a little bit doesn't bother me in the corn. But uh, last year in particular, we, we just got super dry early June. And, you know, that in and of itself wasn't that big a deal. We had a little bit of armyworm pressure move in. Okay, that by itself wasn't a huge deal. And, you know, we have this alfalfa that's popping up in some spots heavier than others. Um, and a lot of it ran into the corn plants. And, you know, most years that wouldn't be a huge deal, but you add it all together and it was, it was stressing. And it ended up being a successful crop, but 
it uh, I was nervous, you know, okay. for, for a little time there. Once once you started seeing more alfalfa than corn for a period, <laughs> it gets you nervous. Uh-huh. And we need a way to, you know, to consistently protect the corn, you know, from competition. Mm-hmm. And then this seemed to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're able to control that environment where the corn row is and mm-hmm. and still, you know, leave the plants in, in between the rows to produce as long as they can. Um, so explain that just a little bit more. So you're using the Hineker cultivator, you said? Yeah, and, and well, first we started out with a flail mower oh. across the whole field to shred everything. I've told people, and, and uh, other people have said it before me too, a flail mower makes all the any kind of tillage pass afterwards works so much better. Oh, okay. Um, you don't have to go as deep with a disc. You get a smoother finish if you can shred everything. And I, I was always a little reluctant to run it just because of manpower that time of year when you're planting. Mm-hmm. The last thing you want to do is add something else to the list. Good point. And every time in the past where I've thought, I really wish I could flail this, oh, it'll be fine. I've always regretted it every time. Really? And, and this year I just, I bought big flail mower and said, okay, this is it. This is just what we're doing and got set up and, and it worked great. So we shredded everything first. And like, how low are you cutting it? Um, just so we aren't nailing a bunch of rocks. Okay. Uh, I, I'd say we're probably, oh, three inches, uh-huh. something like that. But, you know, I, I guess I should, I should, uh, clarify that. I mean, we're talking an alfalfa that was two foot tall plus, I oh. mean, it was a okay. bunch. And going from that in the morning to planted cornfield in the oh. afternoon, you know, I'm not one of those to uh, run the field cultivator across it, wait two weeks, run it again. I don't like seeing the field just laying there bare mm-hmm. that long. Yeah, especially, you know, with, with moisture situation, if we don't get rain, I don't want it, you know, just sitting there drying out. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we shred the field first and then, then run the Henniker in strips. And, and those are 30 inch strips? Yeah. And then, so how wide is the strip that you're um, cultivating basically? So I use 19 inch shares and that's, I, I started out with that just because that's what I had on from, uh-huh. from last summer. Uh-huh. And you could go down to a 15 inch and what we were doing, so the outside couple inches, the roots are going to go around the share, the sweep, you know, okay. on it. So a, a 19 inch share, um, leaves about nine inches um, un- untouched, untouched in between them. You know, when it, it's not it's not a clearly defined line, okay. just because of the, I mean it's established alfalfa. I guess what I ended up finding or seeing was when when the alfalfa bounced back. I'd say um, it was about a fifteen fifteen split it, it was undercut a little past there but you know that stuff kind of flops back over and i don't know is the width of them is really crucial i i, I think you guy could use about anything you know um, within reason with still leaving that strip in the middle mm-hmm. um i guess after seeing what i saw this year i don't see any reason to change i i may go to a 17 i'm gonna play around with i've, I've got another setup that's got cutaway discs so i can define that edge uh-huh. and i may go to a 17 no, and I'll take out the full width of it versus the 19-inch uh, sweeps. Uh, it's pretty minor adjustment or point, I think. They're replaceable shares. It's it's a one-sweep type cultivator. Okay. Uh, just one big sweep instead okay. of multiple, you know, smaller okay. sweeps. It's just basically a, a big V uh-huh. knife that, that you know, I can, I can go down, you uh-huh. know, uh, an inch deep or so and just cut all the roots off. I see. Okay. Um, and and it really it really worked well uh-huh. um about the only time it didn't is when i i cheaped out thinking oh those, those shares will run a little longer and and i i got it going and stuck another guy in it and went and did something else and come back and it was not staying in the ground like it should have the whole time so yeah <laughs> invest in, in new shares when you do it uh-huh, <laughs> But, yeah. but when it was going in like it should, it, it did an excellent job. Yeah. And then, like I said, we we ran a, a, a speed disc, just really shallow, just just enough to smooth everything back out because I don't want to I don't want to plant in a pasture. You know, uh-huh. I want a smooth planting bed. And uh, I thought about I experimented. I took a Williston first, a Williston rolling cultivator, and kind of set it differently, trying to condition those rows back. 
And it, it, it worked okay, but the speed disk was just faster. And I, I think in the end, it probably did a better job. I thought about trying to make a one pack because I'm this next year, I'm going to, the first year I did last, well, this year, I, uh, I just drove the tractor offset, um, you know, because the cultivator normally isn't cutting on the roads, cutting in between them. Um, so we just, you know, offset the tractor with the GPS and, and made our strips that way. This next year, I'm going to actually set up a bar for strip tail works on the road because it, it wants to torque on the tractor, pulling off center and all that. So, yeah, got a little more tweaking to do on the bar. But overall, if a guy wanted to try it, if he's got a Henniker, it wouldn't take much to just go out and use it. So you make the strips and then you go back and you do the, the speed disc, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going at an angle with the speed okay. disc, and but it, we're talking like an inch deep. It, it's moving a little soil in between the rows, but for just being mowed alfalfa there, it's really not doing much of anything. Sure. I mean, right. j but just enough that it, it levels everything back down, firms back up where you just, you know, ran that cultivator and, mm -hmm. and just left really, I mean, I'd put that seed bed up against any field cultivator or anything else out there. I don't want to. I don't want to have to go backward in my seed bed just because I'm doing strips or organic. I don't think you should have to. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, this just. I mean, everything about it just flat worked, mm -hmm. and the corn looked good. Everything responded well. I mean, it, it, it fixed a lot of the inconsistencies we were having before. So, um, so you said you've been going with the planter that day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. All this happens in, oh, in the same day. Yeah. yeah. And so you're basically looking at maybe you're doing a certain amount of acres in a day. Is that how you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're talking an ideal day or an average day. <laughs> um, you, you know, that that's one thing with, with the organic and the rotation where it's at. I'm not planting the half my acres in corn, half in soybeans. I don't have near the acres I have to cover, you know, at a given time. So, you know, I'd say on any given year, my corn acres are probably going to be about a quarter of my total farm acres. And with a 60 foot wide planter, a thousand acres is not hard to, to get knocked out. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if I had unlimited manpower, you know, we could do it a little quicker, but I'd say, you know, we can still get a couple hundred acres a day pretty easy mm -hmm. um, uh, if, if we get the mower kind of staged ahead. And that's probably the slowest part of the process is the mower. Uh -huh. We could put a second one on if we needed to, but uh, you know, if, if I can plant that much in a day, if, if I've got a thousand acres and I could get 200 a day, we probably don't actually average that most of the time. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't need to plant my corn any faster than that. Uh -huh. You know, five yeah. days to do it. That's yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's good. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say by any means organic is less work, but you know, it, it does. You get your rotation, you know, squared away. It spreads the workload out. You know, mm -hmm. uh, instead of these giant, you know, time crunches. So you get it planted, and then what do you do next in the in your field? If, for let's just say uh, on the corn, the corn field, yeah. mm -hmm. um, that depends on the weather. Okay, <laughs> completely. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and you know, and 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 I've done corn before, where I hit it with a cultivator one time when it was uh, say knee high or above, and I wouldn't have even necessarily had to do that. Okay, and it was clean. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say spotless. There was mm -hmm. a couple weeks out there, but overall it was really good. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I've, I guess really the corn, I've had good luck. That's, that's another thing with the uh, alfalfa and clover. They, they help with weed control, weed pressure, mm -hmm. in addition to, to being the fertility. That said, you know, if we get a lot of rain, uh, I, I guess in particular, well, let's talk, talk this year because we did have a fair amount of rain. Um, we ran the Lilliston cultivator quite a bit. I rely on it quite a bit, a rolling cultivator. There's times that we, we've got multiple cultivators okay. and each one's got a really, you know, some of them are a little more broad use like the Henniker, but, but there's others like the Lilliston that there's a lot of things that won't do, but there's some things that only it will do well, you know, and, and, and handling, you know, a lot of residue like that. Um, when the ground's mellow, uh, it, it works really well. Hmm. We were using that um, both for weeding, um, you know, on, on the 
the small crops and also for uh, um, where we didn't get as good a kill on the alfalfa and it was a, a little hairier um, we were using that I'm not going to call it as a roller crimper um, it, it would buy us maybe a day okay. it would it would kind of knock down the alfalfa and you know tear a few stems off and and i know it wasn't doing huge things but if i can buy myself an extra few days to get that corn up ahead of it that's that can be huge okay um and and it was it was doing that i guess for us Mm -hmm. um so you would run that over the the strips that you had left in between mm -hmm. yeah yeah and just to keep them smaller yeah, it, it was uh, that that and and uh, we've got the split row um, weeders on ours, which are a couple littler um, uh, spider wheels that are upright by the row, and those were running in the in the tilled soil from the strip. Oh, okay. So those were actually doing the weeding, and then the ones in the middle were um, mainly kind of rolling over that middle, and oh. and you know if if there was any little seedlings starting in that strip too, it would help get those. I see. Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, my plan was to take a different type of cultivator, an Einbach, uh, Chopstar Twin, which just tills up by the row. It doesn't till the metals. Mm-hmm. So I would just be cultivating strips basically. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have, I guess, the right set of, uh, parameters this year to, to do that. Like I, like I had envisioned, I guess, in the strips. We'll probably try it again. I did run it and, and with a lot of success, mainly in my beans, where normally I would no-till beans in the cereal rye. And this year, we had a good stand of rye. It just was not growing. And there was already a little weed started. So uh, unfortunately, and I, I hated to do it because I, I much prefer to no-till beans in the cereal rye. Uh-huh. We ended up uh, running a speed disc and knocking back some of the rye and planting. And, and we had some rye still there. But... Uh, basically it was it was cultivated you know conventionally mm-hmm. after that um that this other cultivator worked really well in and I'd, I'd still like to get back on the corn with it but i, I guess for for a lot of little reasons it just didn't happen this year because mm-hmm. my thought was okay we we till these strips we plant the strips we just cultivate the strips mm-hmm. you know and then the centers okay maybe when the corn's on the last cultivation pass maybe we take out the centers with the Henniker, maybe we don't, you know, if, if just as it needs. Mm-hmm. So that, that part I'm still, I guess, figuring out. And that, that might change every year with uh-huh. the weather. But uh-huh. for this year, that, that's what we ended up doing. Uh-huh. Overall, we're doing really well. We'll get back to the conversation with Jason in a moment. But I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment, for supporting our Strip Till Farmer podcast. Yetter Farm Equipment has been providing farmers with solutions since 1930. Today, Yetter is your answer for finding the tools and equipment you need to face today's production agriculture demands. The Yetter lineup includes a wide range of planter attachments for different planting conditions, several equipment options for fertilizer placement, and products that meet harvest time challenges. Yetter delivers a return on investment in equipment that meets your needs and maximizes inputs. Visit them at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to Jason Federer. Are you doing roller crimping to terminate any of your crop covers? Um, yeah, j- so far just so I, I have, I don't have anything else, I guess, uh, that I've seeded that I feel like a roller crimper is going to work on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the cereal rye, it, it, uh, I'm, I'm planting the rustic. I like the variety, but it's it doesn't crimp the best. Oh, okay. Um, it's an it's an earlier variety, and uh, um, and I'm okay with not getting all of it. Um, but that is one thing that we've been working on through rotation. Is I love cereal rye, but it can become a weed, same as anything else. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, with with the crops we're planting now, you know. Um, if I wasn't planting a lot of cereals, it's not that big a deal. But if I am, you know, I can't have rye and everything I grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're being a little more careful on, the, I guess, how we're using it, where we're using it, how we're terminating it. I don't know as we have it figured out completely by any means, but 
that's something we're working on. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, this last year, um, the, I had a few fields that I was, uh, planning on roller crimping that we actually did no till in dry. We had a good stand of it. This is soybeans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, it, it was so wet when we should have been roller crimping, we weren't able to. Oh, okay. And I just, <laughs> I see. Yeah. It, it just, boy, the, the timing is that, you know, overall the year wasn't bad, but uh-huh. some of the timing for the organic and uh-huh. just really was not, not good. Yeah. You know? Um, so in that case, what did you do? You cultivated or? No, it, it uh, those, those fields look ugly. Oh. <laughs> those ones I couldn't, I couldn't uh, crimp. Uh-huh. There was a pretty thick stand to begin with. They're, they're not harvested yet. Uh, one of them got mowed. Okay. I mean, it was, it was that bad. Uh-huh. Um, the other two, going to see what crop insurance is going to do, uh-huh. um, on them. Okay. Uh, if, if anything, um, it, uh, I guess it was a miscalculation of the cover crop and the weather this year. Uh-huh. Just talking about that with someone the other day, you know, what worked perfectly last year, this year we're just, you know, uh-huh. might've been terrible, which is, I guess, really every year anymore. You, uh-huh. know, you don't know what you're going to get one year to the next. But that's true. So two years ago when we talked, you were experimenting with interseeding cover crops into corn at V4 to V5 mm-hmm. to help deal with X excess moisture among other things so did that work out and are you still doing that is that no no. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I like the idea of interseeding Uh um that the the year we did that we did did quite a few corn acres that way it was just so dry and and we were right kind of the tail end of that window that um, it was a waste of seed very little of it grew none of it survived through the summer hardly Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why I, I kind of step back and it's like, okay, I'm tearing up this alfalfa to put corn in to try to interseed something else in the middle. Why not just leave the alfalfa that's there? <laughs> that does make sense. <laughs> well, I, you know, the interseeding to me is getting a head start on your next year, right. you know, your fall. Well, Zero rye is not hard to establish uh-huh. in the fall, even late. I've planted Jan- I've planted New Year's Day or after before, okay. and it's still done well. Yeah. Not, not as well as it could have, maybe early, but uh-huh. it's a it's a pretty tough crop. Uh-huh. Um, I don't need to have an interseason in corn. I don't know as well. You really can't. I mean, if you planted zero rye that early and it grew early in the summer, it would it's it's not gonna you know go another year. You know, some guys would put like clover or something out there. Mm-hmm last cultivation but it's like well, I, I don't need to i've already I'm, I'm i've just got done having that you know and i've still got that that strip there so i guess i've shifted from wanting to try to intercede in with it to uh preserving the crop that's already growing mm-hmm. as long as i can and and really once that corn's big i don't need something growing in between the rows i mean yeah okay it'd be nice you know to have something else there but to me that's kind of unnecessary mm-hmm. i guess there's better places I can focus. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And so did you say the alfalfa dies out in between the rows once it canopies? You'd think it'd be gone the next year after cultivating the strip and the middle, but mm-hmm. but yet that, that's one issue. Another issue we found this year, and this is the first year I've had this, that I had alfalfa coming up in the beans. Mm-hmm. Not a full stand by any means, but mm-hmm. enough that it's like, okay, we're going to have to, you know, address this. Uh-huh. Um, and, and part of that, one thing that I'm going to try this next year, uh, maybe I've already said this, but, uh, so the popcorn I've been growing, it doesn't utilize everything that's been put there in front of it from that alfalfa crop. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's excess there. So, um, where we're we talking about excess nutrients, nutrients yeah. yeah nitrogen mainly right and especially if, if i can keep those strips growing you know through the year and, and there's some come back as volunteer as well you know um so and i, I don't know if this is going to work but i i think it's got promise um uh, sunflowers that we started growing don't need a lot of nitrogen mm-hmm. um they, they need a little but not too much is, is a problem for those as well mm-hmm. And I think, I think it might be a nice fit. I'm going to try this, uh, going after the popcorn with sunflowers. Um, they're a later seeded crop. Well, they can be seeded early or late sunflowers. And I would probably, you know, rather seed them earlier. Uh, it, it bumps the oil content, which bumps your 
premium. You know? Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to get, you know, another crop fertility out of that, you know, year and a half or whatever of alfalfa. I see. Or clover or whatever. We'll see. I don't know if that's going to work like I'd hoped or not, but uh-huh. it gets rid of the problem of having the alfalfa and the soybeans, mm-hmm. you know, and and it, it gives me another year of fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll and, see how that goes. But. Yeah. You said you, you planted some this year? Yeah. The sunflowers weren't planted as early as I'd have liked because of the spring weather. And I had one field of them. It was 90 acres. My focus was on... The, the, the big one was getting the popcorn in. That's mm-hmm. that's the one that that's the one that pays for all the other experimentation for <laughs> all the other acres. Uh-huh. Um, so we we didn't get the the sunflower seeded till I think it was the third of June. Okay. And they still did okay, but but it was a later seeding. I mean, you know, the yield wasn't going to be as high, and uh-huh. and uh, and oil content. I don't know what oil content is. We're still waiting waiting for them to get picked up but overall it went it went well mm-hmm. um, especially for a first year crop mm-hmm. um, it was actually on a, a sandier farm we have that uh, I'll probably never plant beans there because I know they won't do well it would be too much work for what they'll produce and it was a really good fit for that farm um, I'm, I'm kind of excited to try it on, on our better stuff and, and see how it fits in I've got really high hopes for it just seeing what it did this year on in that situation, I've got high hopes for following the popcorn and alfalfa with the, mm-hmm. the sunflowers. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. And so are you doing the same sort of modified strip till with sunflowers? Not really. A- after the corn's gone, there'll be some alfalfa, but it won't be, it won't be a lot. I, see. I had thought of cutting back my strip size just a little bit with the Henniker. And if I could leave that strip in the middle for the next year, coming back and, and putting the, the sunflowers into that, you know, basically taking the second strip. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't have any cornfields this year with the rain we got. I felt comfortable leaving uncultivated then oh. not taking out those mills, I guess I to put it that way. Uh-huh. I didn't want to, I, I wanted to make sure that the popcorn crop succeeded. Uh-huh. You know, because honestly, finishing up transition on that many acres, it's it's important that, that that crop does well. You know, mm-hmm. to pay for mm-hmm. to pay for the finishing transition. Mm-hmm. So, um, I didn't want to take any risks there. On yeah. That. So, talk about that whole transition to organic a little bit. We uh, we started out with one ninety acre field. Is actually um, a, a friend of ours knew that I wanted to farm organically. And this was when my dad was still alive, and and uh, you know had this field and uh, came to us with it, and, and it was it was ready to go. I mean, he'd already transitioned it. Oh, I see. It was ready for its first organic crop, and uh-huh. it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, it's about you know, twelve or fifteen miles away, and uh, so it worked out well for my dad because if it was a failure, he didn't have to drive by it every day and look at it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it, it, it was kind of neat because he was a little reluctant at, at his age to want to get back into organic because he'd been there and he knew what kind of work it took, sure. you know. And and after we started doing that, he started transitioning another 80 acres right by the home, oh, the okay. house here. Oh. I don't know if it reignited that in him or, or not, but I guess it was, we were kind of all on board then. You know, that, that year's crop was a complete failure. We had 30 inches of rain in June. I mean, it was wet for a month, which you can imagine on organic was it just weeds, you know, mm-hmm. we had to destroy it, but oh. you know, you, you can't change that. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and, and it was a good, I guess, uh, experience to see what, uh, there were some things, uh, fertility wise that weren't going to work that we saw. So, uh, you know, we went from 90 acres to, uh, um, 170 added another 80 the year after that and i think the, the next year he passed away and I, I i had my hands full so i didn't transition anymore that fall um but the year after that i did another 160 and i believe the year after that i threw another uh thousand in give or take maybe not full thousand maybe 700 um and that's that's where i'm at now i think like 11 1200 that's fully you know they're certified and then uh whatever year it would have been 19 maybe we had non-gmo everything before Mm -hmm. 
um, on a conventional and uh, non-GMO beans are just not fun. I mean, to, you know, it, it's, I, I got to the point, it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm doing almost as much work on these as organic. Why not just be, you know, why, why am I fighting it? Uh-huh. I, I'd already had, I guess, enough years in that I was comfortable with, with organic. Yeah. That I just decided, you know what, I'm throwing the rest of it in. I don't want to have a split operation anymore uh-huh. and multiple managements. And, and you know, I'm not saying it, it was without any bumps in the road, but, but overall, I'm, yeah, I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, so you had mentioned that you've been doing covers for a long time. Mm-hmm. What got you into doing cover crops and when did you start with that? I guess... Uh, that would have been bad. Um, you know, I really, it was a sewer rye head of soybeans, okay. you know, but what just conventional beans. I mean, I, I don't remember when we started. It's been quite a few years though. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, just because it, it, I mean, it just flat worked, you know, I, I don't, I don't know anyone who's ever done it and given it a fair shake that hasn't seen the, you know, seen immediately the benefit to it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's just such an easy one to do, you know. I, you know, if anyone asks, you know, what, where do you start? Sewer I had soybeans. I mean, it just it's hard to screw it up. Uh-huh. I'm not saying it can't be done. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, right. You know, and, and and I guess you just experiment from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a field of wheat, okay, I can I can do something here. You know, this summer, and you try stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know, as I have a go-to mix for anything. Um, a lot of it lately has just been tailored to getting things transitioned and being successful at that. Um, uh, so I, I don't get too exotic with the cover crops. I, you know, I, I love the idea of diversity, but it's gotta be practical and it makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might take a field here and there and do a mix, you know, but, um, right now it's the focus is on getting everything all completely transitioned and, finding that equilibrium before I do too much other experimenting, you mm-hmm. know. And really that, you know, with the, with, with the multiple, I guess, more than two crops, you know, to me I'm getting some diversity from that as well. I don't necessarily need to, mm-hmm. you know, I guess if I could, if I could plant a cash crop that gains me the same things as the covers, why not get paid for it too, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I still won't take these, you know, years for soil building, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I've not been a big double cropper in the past and I'm starting to look more at that. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. so. So you're thinking like soybeans after wheat or would you do something different? If, if I do anything, it's probably going to be sunflowers. I see. Um, uh, this year, I guess in particular, I've got one field that we've been fighting Canada thistle on, so I put barley in it. Oh. So we could get it clipped at the right time we just we, we did rapeseed last year and it just it wasn't soon enough to to work so this year we did barley okay and barley barley comes off earlier um okay. it'll come off a couple weeks ahead of wheat okay when the canna thistle is is blooming or budding uh-huh. and that's it, it needs to be mowed then if if, if i put wheat or oats or anything else it's always just too late it's always past the time you can mow it and really nail it so the thought is if I can take off barley in mid June, I can put, that's still plenty of season for sunflowers. I mean, it would be for soybeans as well, but I just I really like the sunflowers uh-huh. <laughs> and this farm in particular, it usually it's, it's, it's a, less than a mile from a gravel pit. It's got good topsoil, but it's gravel underneath. So when, once the water shuts off, it's done, it burns up oh, okay. and soybeans planted then they, they, they would fail. I mean, okay. I, I'd say pretty confidently. Whereas sunflowers, I'm not going to say they'll, it'll be a record crop, but I think it's one that would work. And I can't remember where I've read it. I should have wrote it down. I've tried to look it back up again, but I have read where sunflowers have had some good effects against Canada thistle. I suppose because of the way they root down. So I'm kind of hoping to hit it with one, two, three, however many punches I can to try to knock it back. So, because the perennial weeds are... The annual weeds, I'm not going to say they can't be a problem, but I can wrap my head around annual weeds, and, but the perennial weeds are a lot tougher and organic to to maintain, and they're ones we don't haven't had to deal with. Um, and the sunflowers, when you're harvesting them, um, how much stock are you leaving? 
so these are oil seed sunflowers. Um, they're 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 not as tall as the confectionery, the great big ones. Um, these were probably, I, I mean, it varies a little bit. I'd say probably averaged uh, five five and a half foot, oh. I guess, tall. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 sunflowers, yeah. and then uh, um, when we cut them, assuming they're not lodged um, or down, which these weren't, I. Uh, I think I was leaving about probably oh, 30 inches of stalk, okay. something like that. Uh-huh. But just because, you know, the flowers droop mm-hmm. and then you've got to make sure you're not, you know, you're getting short ones too. Uh-huh. Oh, sure. um, uh-huh. So, yeah, it was, uh, but it's, the residue seems to break down really quick. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it, it's, you would think it would be, you know, uh, a lot tougher residue, but it just doesn't, doesn't seem to be. And, and and to you know it's it's a lower population planning. Okay, what sort of populations? Um, I think we were at twenty twenty four thousand maybe, and that was toward the high side. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's uh it was in thirty inch rows. Uh huh. Um, you're comparing that population to. Oh, like corns, you know. Corn. At pop, let's say the popcorn would be at thirty four thousand. Some of the corn would probably be. No, uh, thirty-one to thirty-two, okay. somewhere in there. Uh-huh. So it's you know there's there's fewer stocks there too. Yeah, um, and with the organic um, cereal rye for a cover crop, mm-hmm. do you have to plant that kind of at a heavier rate than uh, conventional folks, or what? I guess it depends what you're trying to do with it. Yeah. If if you're talking roller crimping, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean I. I was planting stuff at three bushel and that's too heavy. Oh. I mean, I, I know it is. I, I didn't want to, I wanted to be over instead of under uh-huh. and, um, and it worked, I mean, it worked fine, but a lot of it's tied to the planting date and the fertility. If, you know, if I'm planting October 1st versus November 1st, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would cut back the rate. Um, if I'm putting on, you know, a ton or two of chicken manure, I would cut the rate. Sure. Um, uh, I would say, you know, um, I think probably if, if a guy gets it, gets it, you know, um, toward the earlier side of fall, uh, two, two and a half bushel is probably plenty. Mm-hmm. I'd say two, if you had good fertility and it got, got off to a good start, okay. might be enough. I, I, it's, it's funny cause I've seen just as good a weed control or suppression, let's call it, mm-hmm. from 30, 40 pounds of cerari is two and three bushel. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, on every acre, every time. I haven't had lots of side-by-sides, but just over the years where I've seen, you know, um, different things, because we've done a, you know, a range between there. I don't buy into having to have this thick mat that's a akin to a plastic mulch. Uh-huh. I, I don't, that, that's not where you're getting your suppression. It's, it's the, it's the rye itself. It's just, uh-huh. I, I don't know what it is, the lelopathy, whatever it is, yeah. what it does in the soil. It just, uh, um, like I said, I've seen, you know, um, you know, stuff at, at a bushel or less, you know, even down 40 pounds that maybe it's not quite as good as two and three bushel, but it, it's mm-hmm. bang for the buck. It's better. If, if I was a conventional guy, Mm-hmm. and wanting to try to save on seed yeah a bushel is plenty mm-hmm. um, if you're going to be spraying anyway i do know that you know if, if you have someone uh, come out and tell you well that's not going to work you need i don't know what the number is eleven thousand pounds per acre of biomass you're you're, oh. you're, at, you're at six you know this won't work uh-huh. i I'd, I'd do it anyway uh-huh. and not not that you can't get weeds in rye but mm-hmm. i one field in particular kind of stood out to me. I had uh, a year or two ago that we, uh, I broadcast and scratch in with a speed disc my rye to seed it. I, I like, I like the the plant pattern spacing better than drilling it. Okay. Not drilling it, you know, you get a better stand usually or a more even stand. Uh huh. Um, but I, I had uh, one year we we'll drill it if we're going to harvest it. I see the rye. And so I had some left over in the drill from a field we did. And I told the guy, I said, hey, go over. There's like 20 acres worth. I said, go over and put it on this field and we'll just do the rest when we do, you know, 
do the rest of it, um, which ended up being only a, a couple, two, three days difference in planting dates. Now the the strip he drilled, it was say about twenty acres on an eighty acre field. Um, the next spring, it was it was a good foot taller than the rest of the field. I mean, you can tell to the line right where it was, other than the you know the obvious rows. Um, it was just that much bigger because it got a quicker start because yeah. it was better but, seed soil. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, it came up even, and you know, so it's going to compete together. And, yeah, and uh, you know, nothing else different on the field, just that, and um, you know, just a lot more biomass there. I had better weed control on the side without so much rye, uh-huh. and I don't know, you know, if it was just an end row or an edge of a field, it's like, okay. Well, it's got heavier weed pressure. I don't think that this did have heavier weed pressure. I think it, and I, I can't explain that. I don't know why. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me why why too much rye would uh-huh. you know cause more weeds. I don't know is is that was a problem, but I guess the my takeaway was it didn't do any better. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. and, and and with that, you know, it's tying up those nutrients from the weeds. It's tying them up from the soybeans too. You know, I mean, soybeans seem to compensate. Yeah. And end up doing well, but I, I think with the really pushing the right at the high rates, you do hurt the beans a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's it's hard to quantify, mm-hmm. I guess, but that's why I, I, I've kind of cut back what I've been doing. I've, I've got comfortable enough with the system that um, I'm not scared of having this much rye out there for the biomass. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't necessarily buy into that. Thanks to Jason Federer of Walcott, Indiana, for sharing this background on his modified organic strip-till system. To listen to more podcasts about strip-till topics and strategies, please visit striptillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment, for helping to make this strip-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. For our entire staff here at Striptil Farmer, I'm Julia Gerlach. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>